Welcome into Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast. It has been a while, a couple weeks since our last episode, and there is a whole lot to catch up on, especially on the Ben Simmons trade front. He is still a Philadelphia 76er for now, but a lot went down at media day as his teammates were asked questions about his absence and the situation in general, so we will touch on all of that and some of our expectations outside of Ben Simmons heading into training camp and the preseason as we inch closer and closer to the NBA tipping off the regular season in the middle of October. Before we get into the show, I wanted to announce that we're going to be doing a very special giveaway, so make sure that you're following us on Twitter at GarbageIntoGold. We have teamed up with the ultra-talented Dewani Saraya, who has made such amazing prints of the Sixers over the past year and change. She just released pre-orders for her Art of the Process magazine, which has all of the designs from the past season. It's truly, truly incredible work. So we're very excited to announce that we will be doing a giveaway of five of her prints. So make sure that you're following us on Twitter, at GarbageIntoGold, and that... You are also following her on Twitter at Dewani Saraya. We will put the exact spelling in the description of this podcast, but it's at D-H-W-A-N-I-S-A-R-A-I-Y-A underscore. Again, I'll put that in the description below. And um, very thankful for her also designing our updated logo, which now includes Allen Iverson and Dr. J. Julius Irving. So very excited for this giveaway and to continue to promote her amazing work. She deserves all of the success that's coming to her. Anyway, why don't we go ahead and get into the show? There's a lot to cover. Thanks again for tuning in and sticking with us through this recent few-week hiatus. Garbage and a goal. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a new episode of Garbage Into Gold. It has been a little while, a few weeks since we last hopped on the podcast airwaves. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Apter, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jesse Larch. Jesse, welcome. How are you doing? Um, you know, just going through life one day at a time, trying to avoid anything that's going to ruin my day. And then, you know, Sixers Media Day happens, and... You know, more quotes come out and more more stuff from Ben Simmons' uh, side of this whole thing comes out and suddenly I'm aggravated again. It's a never-ending process, you know? I don't trust this one. I don't either. I, I, feel like, I feel like we may have talked about this in the last episode we recorded at the beginning of September, but I'm trying to think of the last time I wasn't looking forward to a Sixer season. As, as little as I am for this one, I'm excited for a couple of players, but the team as a whole, I, you know, it was probably the process years. I wasn't really looking forward to, to those seasons or anything, but yikes. Anyway, uh, we, we wanted to start off on, on a little bit more of a happy note before we dive into the Ben Simmons situation, which will take up 
the meat of the show for this episode. Uh, we named our podcast Garbage Into Gold because of now former Philadelphia 76ers play-by-play voice Mark Zumoff. It was one of his zoo-isms. And uh, one of our favorites, uh, Jesse put together that nice little mix that is our intro and everything, and we plan to keep that as well. But with Zoo retiring and moving on to, to greater pastures, uh, enjoying life with his family and everything, uh, the news came out over the last week that the Sixers have found their new play-by-play voice, and her name is Kate Scott. She does not have any experience in uh, the NBA. She's a California native, but has plenty of other experience uh, calling college football games, calling Olympic uh, Olympic sports as well. Uh, so it's a really an exciting development. The first female broadcaster, uh, play-by-play broadcaster in Philadelphia history, uh, in, in, in the four major sports at least. So um, Jesse just kind of wanted to get your overall uh, thoughts on the end of the zoo era and, and moving into something new. I mean, I think he's, you know, an irreplaceable guy. Um, but what I think of is how when Harry Callis passed and Tom McCarthy stepped in, it never felt the same. And I, I think, I think generally I don't like Tom McCarthy, but I think there's a bit of additional animosity of me towards him because he isn't Harry Callis. Mm-hmm. And it's just that kind of disadvantage of being the first person after a legendary figure. Um, so, like, Tom McCarthy isn't a bad play-by-play guy. He's I don't think he's a great one. Um, but I probably also think less of him because he's trying to fill Harry Callis' shoes, in my view. Mm-hmm. Not that he is, but that that's the situation that it was. Um, yeah. So I think going with Kate Scott, it actually kind of removes some of that. Right? Because being a female voice is going to be so different. But it's going to be so, such a departure from what we're used to that it's not going. To, she's not going to get the same comparisons to Mark Zumoff. Mm-hmm. It's going to kind of give her a fresher slate than, say, a Tom McCarthy got. Right. Um, so I think in that sense, it's good. It's it's definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, if there was ever a time to go in a new direction like this and to try something like this, I think it's right after Zumoff's out because there's just no replacing a Mark Zumoff. Right. So I think if you're going to go take a chance um, and try to try to buck trends and you know bring something new to the table and you know really just hire who you think is the best person and clearly they think it's her and you know I guess we're going to find out as the season goes on on um, the the clips I've seen of her calling soccer and things like that she seems to have good energy you know she seems to stay on top of the play so it's not I don't think it's and any means someone that isn't qualified to do it. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, she hasn't done basketball before. I don't think it's, I think she'll find her footing. Um, do we know if Allah is still going to be? He, he is. I think she's I called think, some college basketball before. I, I think Allah is going to be a great crutch for her as she adjusts to like calling NBA games and things like that. Yeah. Um, but she definitely, like I said, she definitely seems to have the talent for it. You know, it's just, Philly's a tough market and things like that, so we'll see how that all impacts her. But I think it's, I think it's the you know if you're going to go make that much of a difference and kind of blaze a new trail, I think that's the perfect time to do it because 
if they just went and tried to find the next Mark Zumoff, they were never going to do that. Right. No, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think, like you said, the, they're impossible shoes to fill. But I think with all of this being so new, uh, she has an opportunity to, to create her own journey and her own story here. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten the opportunity to see, uh, Molly Sullivan, Serena Winters, Jessica Camerato, uh, if I'm missing anybody, I'm not sure, but, uh, you know, Serena Winters got to call a couple of games while, while Zoomoff was, was off for a night or two. And, and I actually enjoyed those sorts of games. And what I do like about Kate Scott, you sent me some of the clips is that she has a very good delivery and again, yeah. I haven't heard any of her basketball stuff, so I only listen to her soccer and some football things as well. But uh, it's not like over-the-top enthusiasm or homerism either, you know, which, which is not anything that I personally love. I mean, Zoom Off, you know, we got used to... It wasn't homerism, but it, it was that enthusiasm whenever something big happened. Um, and it seemed like from just listening to her highlights calling soccer that she has the proper delivery for big moments, I think. Yeah, and that's a that's a talent in itself because another thing, I mean, to keep comparing to Tom McCarthy, but <laughs> I think when Tom McCarthy's son filled in this year. Very good. I thought his son was better than his dad at the play-by-play. But his dad is far better at the big moments. Interesting. When there's a big, when there's a home run hit, a big strikeout, Tom McCarthy's actually great at that. I think it took him a little while, but it's getting better. I still don't love the home run call, to be honest. But whenever I do watch on MLB TV, uh, I have the audio feed over the over the TV broadcast, so I'm listening to Fransky in LA or Fransky in Franzen uh, whenever I do watch. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things with Philly is we've been blessed with a lot of great uh, broadcasters. Like, even the Phillies radio crew is great. Jim, I love Jim Jackson with the Flyers. I love Tim Saunders on the Flyers radio crew. Merrill Reese, Harry Callis, you know, Zoom Off, and even yeah. Tom McGinnis. Like, everywhere you look, like, you have to you have to be good at this to survive at this in the city. Um, So... You know, I, I'm not trying to be like harsh about it, but if it ends up being a bad fit for her. She'll find out quick. But I don't, th- I don't see any reason why she can't come in and do a great job at this. She seems, yeah. she seems like her career is built up to getting an opportunity like this, and this is her her big break and her big chance. No, yeah, I completely agree. So, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I mean, well, we're not not too far away from being able to hear it. The preseason only starts in a week or two. So we'll get to our first preview of, of how that sounds uh, in, in just a short while. But uh, now that we've gotten past that, uh, it's time to get into what's been on the headlines of Philadelphia sports papers for the better part of the last month. Plus um, papers, internet, whatever. I don't know why I got to papers. I guess I'm getting really old, but um yeah, as we all know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know the Ben Simmons, ben Simmons situation. Um, you know, he was uh, one of the larger reasons as to how the Sixers were not able to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks. 
Um, you know, over the years, everything has kind of sort of been building towards where we are now. Uh, so just to kind of set the set things up before we talk about what just happened, um, based on reports that have come out over the last few days and today even, uh, we learned that Ben Simmons actually requested a trade as early as May. Uh, we did know at that point, I think Woj reported that Simmons and Rich Paul met with Elton Brand, Daryl Morey, Josh Harris um, in Chicago. I think that was a how, how can we move forward sort of thing. It was never a Ben requested a trade, but apparently a trade request did, did happen at that point. Um, so there's, there's that on... Tuesday, which is today, Sam Amick of The Athletic reported that Simmons and his camp reportedly believe that the pairing with Joel Embiid has, quote, run its course and that the organization's direction to build around Joel isn't necessarily conducive for Ben's style of play, which is a lot of work in the paint, normally occupied by Joel Embiid. Uh, And then Kevin O'Connor today also reported that Ben Simmons apparently never gave the Sixers brass a reason why he wanted out, but sources tell him that Clutch Sports, uh, the motivation behind this holdout and uh, with Clutch Sports uh, is to get Simmons to a team where the offense can be built around him. And O'Connor also mentions that Doc was planning to use Simmons at a small ball five this year with Embiid off the court in more of a Giannis role. And then there was also a story at the end of last week uh, where apparently a few of the Sixers' leadership, uh, team leadership, so Joel Embiid, Matisse Thybul, Tobias Harris, were planning to go out to L.A. to meet with Simmons, to talk to him, to hopefully persuade him to come to camp and everything like that, but uh, out of courtesy told them not to fly to L.A. to meet with him as it wouldn't change his mind on wanting a trade. So... All of this stuff kind of led up to, to media day and everything which happened on Monday. But I guess leading up to this point, Jesse, I, I feel like on our last episode or maybe two episodes ago, you mentioned that you think that you would be kind of surprised if he didn't show up um, and that they, the Sixers would likely be in a position where, you know, he'd play and maybe raise his trade value that way. But now, you know, we, we sit here on the first day of training camp and, and he's not here. So with all of these reports from him not wanting to meet with teammates to, um, you know, having the partnership with Embiid, quote unquote, having run its course, uh, like what, I don't even know how to ask it, but I'm just, you know, what are your general takeaways from all of these reports leading up to this? And then we'll get into what was actually said on media day. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to play for the Sixers again. Um, I think he's totally shot his trade value in the foot. And it makes it a lot harder to trade him now. Um, as far as what I said a couple episodes back, that was like, I think I, you were suggesting he wouldn't show up. And that was before there was any reports that he was going to hold out. Um, right, yeah. And we were just kind of debating that. And I, I personally thought, you know, he's not really a, a spotlight kind of guy. So he would have he would have still showed up for camp and went about his business and you know been a professional, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, I just the thing that got me was during media day yesterday and you know everyone's at the facilities putting their pictures out and all this stuff, 
and he just posts a story from him working in a private gym yeah. in the middle of media day. And it's like, he's just, he's just making it very, he's being kind of childish about it, to be honest. But he's making it very clear that he has no intention of showing up, that he's like, they're there, I'm here. And, you know, it, it really does suck. Um, because especially for me being someone that was such a fan of his and really defended him, it's, you know, I think he's left everyone with a sour taste. Yeah. All of this is a case like a, like a Kurt Schilling or a Scott Rowland who left the Phillies at their heights because the Phillies were just not going to be a winning team. Well, Scott Rowland got booed a lot, didn't he? Because of like what he said about the organization or something. He ended up getting traded to St. Louis because, well, I think yeah, I know we, what you mean. I think like yeah, in context, I mean, they left because out. they weren't he good. He out because he wanted to win and the Phillies weren't. Right, yeah, yeah. They weren't close to winning. And I don't blame a player for that. That's just competitiveness. But it's not it's not like he's on the magic or you know, I'm trying to think of another bottom feeding team. But it's not like he's on one of the league worst teams. He's not on the Pistons. Yeah. Like he's on a on a perennial contender. Right. And he's turning his back on that for personal desires. Um, which he's allowed to do, but it's it's still just leaving a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like anybody that's listened to this show somewhat regularly knows that I've been more out on Ben over the last season or two than, than Jesse, of course. Um, I feel like there was a point last season when things, like the first couple months, he looked good looked more consistently aggressive his free throw shooting looked better and then as the season kind of drew along uh, that stuff sort of began to go away and you know you always hear the stuff about the jump shot and what have you um but yeah all, all we really ever wanted was to him to like he says you know i'm gonna play my game and i'm here to win like we want him to play his game and he got to the point where he wasn't doing that he wasn't being aggressive he wasn't bodying up players that he could body up you know and and that got us to the eventual point where um in the playoffs he was neutralized once once again so i i'm not surprised that it got to this point but it just baffles me to this point that there's just like very little accountability. Like I know in his post game presser after game seven, yeah, he was just like, you know, I could have done better. You know, I need to be better for my teammates. So there's some accountability, but then to pretty much hold out and, uh, I mean, abandon the, the people who have adjusted their game to try and fit what you do is just like, I mean, it's just all mind-boggling to me. And we'll talk about Joel Embiid a little bit more, but it's just it's crazy how Joel Embiid has has uh, improved his game to try and open space for Ben, but Ben could not do the thing to, that would help the team. So I just uh, hope this gets resolved sooner rather than later. But, I mean, the more that this team gets put in front of microphones, you know, the, the worse it's probably going to get. And, and that's a good segue into the opening press conference of uh, Monday's media day, which was Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. 
They both reiterated their hope that Ben Simmons will return, but some of their comments probably did not help the case. Doc at some point said that he assumed that the Philadelphia fans were probably one of the reasons Ben doesn't want to come back. He said, I assume that. Ben hasn't told me that, though. So you're trying to mend fences and, and, you know, water under the bridge and everything. And then a veteran coach who has been in these situations of blowing leads in the playoffs and everything says something like that. And Daryl Morey compared Ben's situation to Aaron Rodgers coming back and playing in Green Bay and also said that there's, quote, a lot of hope for reconciliation between the Sixers and Ben Simmons, which was reportedly viewed by Ben Simmons' camp as laughable and out of touch. Um, you know, Daryl Morey, I feel like, gets a pass a lot of times for the offseason in which he got here and got off the Al Horford deal, you know, traded Al Horford, got Danny Green, uh, and traded Josh Richardson, got Seth Curry. So this is really his first full offseason, and it's not really going well, but I feel like none of that is really taken into consideration because of how bad Doc has looked. I mean, I'm not sure how many of them that you saw, but Doc was on a handful of national TV programs this past week to promote his podcast and was obviously asked about Ben and pretty much lied about how he spoke about everything after Game 7. So... I mean, I feel like going into last season, I was just like, okay, I know Doc's track record, but it seems like there's going to be more accountability and everything like that. And now we're to the point where, honestly, I don't think this team can be a winner with him as the coach. Like, he just straight up lies. Like, he doesn't... It was, like, does he not... Pre- I, I, I watched these TV programs wondering if he prepared for them at all like he prepared for the playoffs because it didn't look like it at all. Like, I just don't understand why somebody who's been in the NBA for this long can just like take such a big shit on his own bed. Like, I just don't understand it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the overview of the Daryl doc stuff. Uh, what, what do you take from, from, from their comments on everything and, and any thoughts on, on doc and, uh, you know, he has a five-year contract, so he's not going anywhere, but I'm certainly out. I, I, I don't like, I don't like him. Yeah, I mean, he's a spinster. Like, he clearly, he's interested in serving himself. Um, You know, he, I think he's very protective of his own ego. And that's obviously not what you want in your leader. Um, You know, he has such a, such a big track record behind him. But, excuse me. But it's like. It's it, it was so long ago when he won that title with the Celtics that like nobody cares anymore. Like it's like he falls back on it. It's almost like when you when you hire Doc Rivers, you get to hear how, oh well, you know I I won the title and I'm a championship coach. It's like it's almost like he pushes that agenda more than like the media does. That like he he wants you to know his clout instead of proving it again. Like, he's kind of rested on his laurels that, I did this once, you guys don't need to question me, I know what I'm doing. And he kind of did that a lot with handling Ben all last year, whenever whenever anyone tried to question Ben's fit on the team. How he would say, Ben's a great basketball player, he doesn't need to change anything. And it's like, it's almost like he's he's being stubborn more than anything. And I think that's kind of... 
Oh, that's kind of what people are getting tired of. Yeah. Like, it's weird to be worn out from a coach this quickly, but I guess after watching Brett Brown kind of fade out, it was like we can kind of smell bullshit a while away. Mm-hmm. And again, I love Brett Brown, and I'm so happy that he was a part of this organization for as long as he was. I just think he wasn't he wasn't equipped to get this team to a championship, and they needed to find someone who could. But Brett Brown was very much the same way in that he was very, very protective of the franchise and of the organization. And Doc seems to be a, a similar type of guy. Uh, I think they both enabled Ben in in ways to to where we are today. You know, putting him in that point guard spot and 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 not pretty much not worrying about focusing on areas of the game that need to be improved. And I feel like if a vet coach like Doc Rivers can't get Ben to, you know, work on his game and realize that he needs to improve in order for this team to win a championship, like, could you imagine if he gets traded to the Spurs? Like, I'd love to see how Greg Popovich would have handled all of this shit. Like, he probably would have easily benched the guy. Yeah. Like, it's it's just, yeah. I mean, I just think in general, I don't know, like you mentioned and alluded to, I, Doc's past is Doc's past. You know, you look back and see how many playoff series that he's blown. You add this, this last year's to that, and um, any sort of excitement I had for them having a veteran coach like him here is just all gone in the matter of, a few months you know that playoff loss and and now all of these comments like just get your story straight like you're a veteran coach i just don't get why you wouldn't get your story straight i i I don't understand it but i i I, if i was ben i would not want to come play for doc rivers and now maybe you're seeing why Kawhi and paul george didn't want him there anymore yeah he's, he's a politician yeah. Um, that's, how, that's how he keeps his name so prominent around the league. He knows he knows what asses to kiss, what hands to shake. And I think that's gone a long way for him since he won his title because, really, he hasn't accomplished too much in this league. Yes, like regular season wins, he's accomplished a lot, but like let's be honest, it doesn't really matter. It probably matters to, like, Josh Harris. You get those regular season wins, you get – sell out crowds i mean like you said for the organization yeah all right why don't we go ahead and move on to joel Embiid, who had uh by far the best press conference of the entire media day you think he was up there for a little over 20 minutes was very elaborate with his answers uh, he was asked what he would say to Ben if he was able to talk to him and sit down with him. Joel said that he'd tell him he's disappointed that it's gotten to this point, that they've been successful together. And Embiid also mentioned how everyone needs to get better, Tobias, Matisse, and that sometimes you need to just be self-aware and look in the mirror. And so I just picked out a couple of quotes from his availability that I think were uh, worth mentioning. Uh, He said about Ben, quote, I really hope he changes his mind. I do love playing with him because he adds so much to our team. 
we've been building this team around us. I don't see it as this is my team. I don't care about any of that. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that has happened. I know a little bit about all of that, but that's not really for me to do. But the way I look at it is that we've all got to be better. After we lost, I tried to figure out ways that I could be better so we can win something. I think you've just got to have some self-awareness. I could have done much better than I did. I turned the ball over a few times, missed a few shots. Tobias could have been better. All my teammates could have been better. You just got to look at yourself and find ways to learn. And then at some point he was asked, if Ben does return, what sort of expectations would you have for him on the court? And he said, quote, I'm sure we all see the videos, so that would help. Because he has that potential. He has that potential to be that good. We know what he brings defensively. Even without that, offensively, he just creates a lot of shots, mainly for our three-point shooters. So overall, what I got from Embiid's thing is that he's not really happy, and he'd like to just move on from the entire situation. Um, the Looking back on how immature he was when he got into the league to where he is now, like being pretty open and honest about how he feels and being humble about what he's gone through to realize he needs to do better and he needs to stay in great shape just shows like the opposite side of the spectrum sort of, you know, I never like bought into the fact that him and Ben were friends because they're just two completely different people in different worlds. You know, Ben's been on TMZ getting attention for who he goes to, uh, you know, tennis matches with while Embiid pretty much stays low-key with video games and his family. So, I mean, what I get from all of this, again, is a player that is trying to do all he can to help his team win, and uh, Ben's just not doing that or hasn't done it to this point. So what, what, were, what were some of your takeaways from uh, Embiid's comments on Monday? He did the same thing he kind of did before, where, like, when he went on that Twitter rant, where it was like he said some things that are appealing to Ben, and then he makes statements that you understand. Like, you don't think you're going to make Ben want to come back. Like, he can't help but sound sarcastic or accidentally, like, critical. Not that Ben doesn't deserve criticism, but if, if your goal is to get him to come back, maybe don't do that. Yeah. Um,. I mean, I feel like he was being honest. I think he's frustrated, and I think he kind of used media day as an avenue to get put his side of the story out there, you know, and I think he accomplished that. Mm-hmm. All right, so Joel Embiid pretty much spilled his guts when it came to the Ben Simmons situation. I thought uh, one of the quotes that I didn't pull, Jesse, that was um, – I guess one of the reasons a lot of people say that Ben might not want to come back because he was quote unquote thrown under the bus, which again, I I find to be ridiculous. Um, The one thing I will say about doc rivers is that I think it was stupid to say whatever he said after game seven, because after defending Ben all year, uh, yeah, just how it came off just wasn't great. Um, But at the same time for everybody, including Ben to look at that one quote, compared to the hundreds and hundreds of other quotes that pretty much were doc coddling Ben and, and pretty much what's complimenting him all season long. So it's just like, I, I guess that's the one side that I don't necessarily get. And then Embiid 
um, asked if he wanted to try and clarify any of his comments after game seven. And he said, um, no, I, you know, I don't regret any of it. And he said that he doesn't look at it as throwing under the bus, like throwing any, anybody under the bus. He didn't call anybody out. He just stated the facts. And so I just like that through all of this, he's not sugarcoating. Like why, why at this point? Like he's just like, I'm being accountable. It's time for you to be accountable sort of thing. So I thought it was, I thought it was ballsy and everything for him to stick by that and never, and, and stuff, but I'm, I'm glad he said it. Um, but yeah, I think that was the highlights primarily from the Embiid part of media day. Tobias Harris said that if he would have known after game seven, that things would have turned out like this, he probably would have driven over to Ben's house with teammates to have a conversation between men. I uh, mentioned uh, the the saying, it is what it is, multiple times. Uh, it sounds like he's done his part to try and communicate and give his feedback to Ben, um, but it, it is what it is. And then Tyrese Maxey, we've seen uh, workout videos with, with him and Ben Simmons in the same gym with Chris Johnson, the NBA trainer. Um, so when he was asked about Ben, he primarily talked about how they are brothers. They work out together in LA. Um, and they talk about their dogs since they have the same breed, same dog breed and they keep in touch pretty often checking in on each other. So it seems like they have a personal level relationship that will go beyond whatever situation is going on right now. Um, I guess through all of this with, with Ben Simmons out for the foreseeable future, we got to see training camp today. Tyrese Maxey actually ran with the ones. So if Ben Simmons does not show up, it looks like Doc is going to go with Tyrese, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. Any any thoughts on that? Would you do anything differently with that if if, if this is the roster we go with into the season? No, that's the lineup I would put together. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't run that run that uh, group out there. Call me crazy. I feel like I would put Matisse in there instead of Danny Green. That's all. Um, I think I think because of how things were, I feel like Ben created so many open looks for Danny Green, and I think he's going to get plenty of open looks as well. Uh, but I like the Maxi Thibel pairing more so because of Matisse's uh, cutting ability and everything like that. So I think the speed matches up nicely. Um, and I guess after watching the Olympics, I'm eager to see Matisse get more, more minutes. He's certainly going to be a, a primary guy coming off the bench and everything like that. Hopefully we see a step forward in his offense, but, uh, I guess with Danny green getting one year older and everything, 54 years old, as Tyrese Maxey said on media day, um, I'd like to see them maybe start off with more speed. I think by the middle of the season, Matisse Thibel, uh, is going to end up in the starting lineup. That's just my bold prediction for for that. I mean, I hope his trajectory gets him there because I'd love to see Matisse earn, this, earn a spot in the starting five, but I don't think there's any reason to take Danny Green out of the starting five just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited for Tyrese Maxey. Doc said that with or without Ben Simmons, Maxey will have a big role. And Danny Green mentioned that he believes Tyrese Maxey can be a primary, uh, can excel in a primary role, and that he carries himself like a star. 
and the only other note that I really took from all of it is that Doc Rivers said George Niang deemed as the Sixers' silent pickup by Doc Rivers. So um, I don't think we've discussed him in too much depth, but I do think that his signing is uh, going under the radar, obviously because of the Simmons stuff, but because he's not really been like a rotational, like a heavy rotational piece for his NBA career. But I think he's going to get that opportunity here. And uh, just another option for the Sixers to, uh, for Embiid to pass out of double teams to find an open three-pointer. Did you, uh, did you by chance get to see the Furkan Korkmaz like movie trailer that he made for himself? I did not. I saw people talking about it on Twitter a lot, and I saw his comments on it. Yeah, but I haven't seen the actual clip. You need to. You need to do it. It got me hot and bothered. Uh, this is very. I'm very excited for Furkan Korkmaz this season. I feel like he's gotten better, and uh, now Look, with a bigger role. You talk role. about a guy that has made improvements every single year he's been here. Like I think he's gotten a little bit better every year he's been here. And he's at the point now where he's a legitimate NBA rotation player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm think even last year, two years ago, when we saw Cork getting run, and we were like, "Oh, is that what we're doing?" And it's like, like, no, he's he's a legit player. Yeah, Who would have thought Brian Colangelo hit on a pick. Yeah, I enjoyed him being asked about that. He said that he's already watched it a couple of times. Uh, I mean, Tyrese Maxey on the podium was tremendous. And then the, I enjoyed Shake Milton saying that he feels like he looks swole looking at the screen from Zoom. So I just thought that was funny. Um, and I guess the only other thing that I'm interested to see how, how it works is Andre Drummond. Because I feel like now that Ben's not here, it's almost a better situation. In terms of, you know, I feel like Shake Milton and Andre Drummond could do well in the pick and roll off of one another, potentially. Um, but I feel like the, the Simmons not being here kind of plays to Drummond's advantage because we all knew how the Dwight Howard, Ben Simmons minutes were. Um, and and now you have pretty much an entirely different look when you go and have Drummond as as a backup center. Um, anybody on the roster, whether it's a uh, Maxi or um, Korkmaz, Thibel, Drummond, Rot- any of the like rotational guys uh, that you're most intrigued to see, like during the preseason and going into the year. I mean, for me, I'm a big Isaiah Joe fan. Mm. Stole my so, stole my pick. <laughs> I mean, I just want to see how he stacks up with a, you know, within the Yang and with a Korkmaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and does he have a, a case to make for him to get rotation minutes? Because I think, I don't, I don't, even though Doc talked about Niang and at media day, I don't think he's a lock for minutes. Um, I, I think Isaiah Joe can definitely work his way into some minutes. Probably not, probably not like consistent rotation minutes, but. You know, if the team needs a lift on shooting or spacing or something like that, you know, it looks like it'd be down to him and Niang. I think Niang was like a very Maury signing. I think there's like some analytics. I remember I saw, so I can't remember exactly what it was, but his like his catch and shoot rate or something is one of the best in the league, but he, his volume for his career is low. 
So it's a limited sample size, but he's shown success within the sample they have. Um, Isaiah Joe, I just believe in, in terms of the energy he plays with, he always seems to give his best effort. Um, he's been a much better defender than I anticipated. And I expect that to continue throughout his career now. And I mean, I think his shooting form is immaculate. So that's someone I'm really rooting for. I really want to see how he looks now, you know, with Ben gone, everybody moves up a spot. And we're going to see who kind of stakes claim to that. Maxie's obviously the biggest recipient for that. But there's a lot of guys there that are going to be kind of scratching and clawing to earn their keep. And I think Isaiah Joe is a guy that, you know, he can make a case for himself. It's just going to be if he can actually get it done. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say Isaiah Joe, too. I I don't think that he would, like, take any minutes away from uh, Niang just because I think Niang is going to be more of, like, a Tobias, Tobias backup. Like he, he's more of like a power forward type. And I feel like Isaiah Joe might be able to slide into some of those backup Seth Curry sort of minutes. Um, and I think there's opportunity for, for him to do so. I mean, he looked really good in summer league and really behind Seth Curry, you have Furkan Korkmaz, you have Shake Milton. And you would imagine with how things are that Shake Milton might handle a lot of the primary ball handling duties for the second unit. You know, hopefully we don't see all bench lineups again this year after uh, what we all went through last year. Um, but I think Isaiah Joe is one of those players where I, I just see him creating a role for himself as the season progresses. But then, of course, you have Matisse Thibel that needs minutes as well. Uh, you have Andre Drummond that needs the minutes needs the minutes too. So there's going to be a lot of juggling because I think this year especially – now that Ben is, is likely never going to play another game in a Sixers uniform, that the development of young players like Isaiah Joe, even Paul Reed, could be important to getting more back in a potential Ben Simmons trade. You know, you play Isaiah Joe and he looks good. You might be able to get more for Ben Simmons than you would be if he holds out. Like, you just don't know. So I think playing those young guys, especially early in the season – uh, could only really help you in terms of building a more attractive trade package for Ben Simmons because we've gotten to the point where, yeah, I mean, who's going to want to trade for him just based on what he's done? Because this whole situation, like you said earlier, has kind of made his reputation worse than it was off the court. We already kind of knew what it was offensively on the court. So, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of teams I feel like would want Ben Simmons still. But the Sixers have no leverage in any negotiation right now. Oh, zero. So, like, that's the, like, he's still a valuable trade chip. And he's still a guy a lot of teams would love to put on their roster. But every team knows they don't have to make their best offer right now. <clears throat> right. Um, okay, so we've before we close out things here, we'll just do prediction for the Simmons situation being resolved, whether it's a trade, whether it's him showing up and um, not wanting to get fined anymore or whatever. What are, what, what's your prediction in terms of when he shows up, if at all, or when a trade goes down? I'm going to say he, uh, I think he's just going to sit out the whole year. Interesting. I don't think, I don't think they're going to succumb to, a deal just to get him off the books. I think they would rather hold on to him and hope he maybe returns 
rather than let him kind of one win, but two, the I don't see Daryl Morey taking a cut price for Ben Simmons. Yeah, I think he eventually will have to. No, I mean we're, I never thought that they were going to get like four picks and three players for him. Like uh, this isn't James Harden we're talking about, even even when things haven't gotten to this point. Um, I guess I'm going to predict that it's resolved in one way or another by the end of the calendar year. I don't think, I don't think he is with the team the entire season. If he is, I would be shocked. I think it has to be prior to the trade deadline. Like, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors. Um, and I feel like at that point, you know, when you go into January or February, how mu- how much money can he possibly be fined? I-, I don't know the exact numbers, but I mean, we're talking millions and millions of millions. Like it's, it's not a small number once you get into January and February, but I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope by the end of the calendar year, I mean, I would hope by the end of the month, I just don't, I'm, I'm ready to not talk about it anymore. Right. I mean, I think we're all ready for that. I just, I, the way the Ben saga has gone on so far with them fielding offers all year, I, I just don't think Daryl Morey is going to trade Ben just to trade Ben. Oh, I don't think so either. But I, I think he's so black and white, analytically minded, mm-hmm. that he can't get himself to do that. Yeah, I don't think he's going to trade Ben to trade Ben. But I think that if he gets offered a deal with pieces that could help the team win, uh, you know, a starter like a fringe All Star starter or something with some picks, I, I I would be surprised if he didn't end up doing that. At this point. Just because we, what was his value a couple months ago after the playoffs ended? I don't know, but it's it's lower than that right now. Um, I mean, the next uh, the next uh, landmark date here coming up is October fourth, which is the Sixers' first preseason game against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto. The first game in Toronto since pre-bubble, or since the the bubble season, actually. Uh, so they play the. Raptors on the 4th, and then they play the Raptors at home on October 7th, and then they also play the Brooklyn Nets on October 11th in the preseason, and uh, they close out the preseason on October 15th against the Detroit Pistons on the road, and then regular season begins Wednesday, October the 20th. Jesse, before we go, I think it is worth mentioning that Shalil Okafor, who was waived a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago, has found a new home as he signed a non-guaranteed training camp deal with the Atlanta Hawks. So, Jaw's career continues. I mean, good for him, but I don't think he has much of a career. Like, he, he's still in the league, given that. Yeah. But I don't think he, any team looks at him as anyone that's going to play important minutes for them. No, I think it'll be preseason, and then he gets waived, if I had to guess. All right. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of Garbage into Gold. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We got the first preseason game coming less than a week away, so we'll probably have a show for you very shortly after that game or the first two games. We'll see. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on another episode of Garbage into Gold.